Hello, this is Dr. Otaku, here to warn you that the first hour of this audio recording contains an echo each time my co-host Elliot and Drew speak. This was due to an oversight on my part in dealing with technical errors with the settings on my audio recording software. I have tried my best to edit the first hour's recording to minimize this echo, but if it truly bothers you, please skip ahead to the discussion of episode 4 of the series at which point I was able to fix the audio issues. I apologize again, and I hope you'll bear with me, as this is my first podcast, and I am still learning the ropes. I will commit myself in the future to becoming a better podcaster, audio recorder, and content creator. I hope that you will still enjoy the discussion that was recorded correctly, and that you will continue to listen and support this podcast. I appreciate all of you listeners, and on behalf of myself, Elliot, and Drew... We thank you for your continued support and hope to see you soon in the anime waiting room. Hello, friends. The doctor is in and we'll see you now. I'm your host, Dr. Otaku. Welcome to the anime waiting room. Joining me today are my co-hosts, Elliot and Drew. We're not real doctors, but if anime is your drug of choice, then we've got the fix for you. to the first episode of the Anime Waiting Room Podcast. Once again, I'm your host, Dr. Otaku. Joining me today are my co-hosts, Elliot and Drew. Say hello, guys. Hey. Hello, guys. Today we will be reviewing the series, A Place Further Than the Universe. Because apt foo is probably too hard for us to say, we'll probably be referring to the series by A Place Further, or we could also call it just universe but before we get into this review let's catch up so what's been going on with you guys in the past month what have you guys been up to and what have you guys been watching besides the podcast stuff elliot uh i've been taking care of my dog as well as finishing up school oh nice i know your dog has a special name would you like yes. to share with listeners yeah, his name is uh, Shoyo, named after Hinata Shoyo from Haikyuu. He's actually red-headed Shiba Inu, just like Shoyo is in the show. Nice. Shoyo in the show is a Shiba Inu? <laughs> no, but he's a redhead, and he's got, a, he's got a lot of energy. Heard you got him a jersey, too. I did. He cannot fit it anymore. He, he's one at once, and that's all. <laughs> that just means you gotta buy another puppy in order to get your money's worth out of that jersey that's right you gotta, you gotta name it kageyama tobio the other Bro, if i get a tobio kageyama shibinu he will be black and tan <laughs> that's very cool how old's your dog uh he's actually turning three months in a few days and he's due for a couple of shots soon very nice uh, well, what are you doing for school? Uh, I am finishing up my MBA program at Utah State. And Congratulations. Yeah, thank you. It's been a fun 
place to learn. That's right. Oh, one more question. What have you been watching this month? Uh, pretty much I've just been watching a double as part timer, trying to catch up for season two, and it's been it's been pretty entertaining. What kind of show is that? Uh, I believe it, it's classified as Isekai because he's technically transported to another world and starts a kind of a new life. Even if he's kept his memories, he's definitely different from when he was in his original world. Nice. So nice. this is supposed to be the literal biblical Satan. I don't think he's the literal biblical Satan, but he is, in fact, the demon lord Satan, and that's his name in that world that he's from. But he goes by Mr. Mal in the the human world, which is our world. Oh, okay, so nobody calls him Mr. Satan like that dude from Dragon Ball, huh? Nah. It's <laughs> <laughs> a it's a good callback. Uh, Drew, what have you been watching, or what have you been up to this month? You want to share? Uh, I haven't really been up to a whole ton, but I also have another podcast i do it's a comic book podcast called between the gutters and most recent episode that we recorded was about a comic book series called paper girls Paper girls is something that just got adapted into a live action series i believe it just started streaming on amazon prime Paper girls is about four girls that basically go on an adventure together and learn how to become friends which is and when I put it like that, it's kind of similar to the anime that we're going to be discussing today. It's just a funny coincidence, I thought. It's definitely got a different tone, because Paper Girls is really about four girls that just meet each other, and then they get embroiled in this time war between two warring factions. There's a lot of time-traveling shenanigans and science fiction stuff in it. Good stuff, man. Paper Girls by Brian K. Vaughn and F. Chang. In terms of anime, watched a few things this month. Standout uh, movie I watched. Uh, it's an older film, but it's called Jinro. It was written by Maru Oshii. A dystopian film. Uh, really well done stuff. Uh, also been watching Eureka 7 or Eureka 7. I'm not really sure how to pronounce it, but it's an, it's a mecha show from like the mid 2000s. Uh, never had a chance to watch it, but I only picked it up on sale a few months ago, so I've been checking it out, enjoying it. Nice. Uh, about oh, you, yeah. man? Oh, uh, me for me. Uh, I've been watching some Mobile Suit Gundam Origin, the first Gundam. I think most fans call it first Gundam. Uh, also started reading the manga, volume one and two, and enjoying that a lot. I think I, I think I even like it more than Iron Blooded Orphans. Although I think I'll still continue watching both side by side. Nice. Uh, I started Vinland Saga. Uh, he's the creator is no, uh, notable for his work on Planetus. I believe it's called Planetus. Mm-hmm. And I got some uh, of the manga for Vinland Saga and Planetus from the library. So I'm going to start reading that as well. Uh, I finally finished Serial Experiments Lane. It's one of those 90s classics about psychological 
uh, thriller that talks a lot about the internet before the internet became big. Uh, I mean, there's like parallels to that. And I started Vision of Esclafone, as they say in the show. Uh, and I started seven, seven episodes of that already. It's pretty, pretty interesting. Yeah, yeah, that's one of my favorites for sure. Yeah, I think this one's like the true Izakai. That I think I like it's an Izakai that I didn't know I needed, but now I realize I needed it all along. Yeah. Uh, and then I've also been reading Dr. Stone. Uh, I left off uh, volume 10 is around where season 2 left leaves off. And they had a special for Ryusi, the new character that's introduced in that season. So the next season's coming up soon, I think, because they just released a one-hour special. And the last... Oh, yeah, yeah, it's really good. It's really good. It's got a new intro that's like... It's like the same song, but they like remixed it. So it's pretty mm. good. I'll have to check it out. Yeah, it's pretty good. Street Fighter 2 is the last thing I watched. The movie. <laughs> That's a was, classic, man. That's yeah, a 90s classic. That was a good one. Like, the Chun-Li fight against Balrog. That was really good. Uh, I won't spoil anything, uh, you, but... You watched the sub, didn't you? You calling him Balrog. Oh, yeah. I'm, I'm, yeah, and then <laughs> they call M. Bison Vega. All the original names. Yeah, so. they, you know they switched the names up for the American release because <laughs> the Japanese version, the boxer was M. Bison, and they thought it was too uh, close to M. Tyson, uh, Mike Tyson. Yeah, yeah, that's interesting. That makes sense, though. Yeah, I think uh, I'm not gonna spoil anything, but yeah, Ryu and Ken, their relationship is very deep. I don't know. It just reminds me of like Karate Kid or other famous martial arts movies. Just yeah, a very it's deep a good action flick. Yeah, deep, deep relationship they got. Yeah. But there's just enough story and characterization to keep you interested in what's happening, but all the fights are really well choreographed. I watched that VHS tape a lot when I was a kid, so uh, <laughs> I, I feel see, like I know that movie by the, like, the back of my hand, even though I haven't seen it in a while. Yeah, I can see why it's a classic. They got like really original like animation sounds when they're fighting. <laughs> really does sound like flesh hitting, hitting flesh. Yeah, it's pretty good. I like the animation of the Hadoken too. It's like not just uh, nebulous energy, it's like concentrated from the atmosphere. Uh, it's pretty good. Uh, but anyways, that was our share time. <laughs> now we will get to the official synopsis and review of A Place Further Than the Universe. A disclaimer, if you have not watched A Place Further Than the Universe, please close this podcast or pause it and come back after you've watched it. But we will start with a spoiler-free description before we dive deep. A little bit about why we chose A Place Further. We, it was nominated for several Crunchyroll Awards in 2018, including Anime of the Year. Unfortunately, it didn't win any, but it was nominated. It looked interesting to us, and none of us have watched it before, so that's a plus. All right, Drew will now give a overview of the anime, particularly the studio and its creators. Okay, so A Place Further Than the Universe is anime that was originally released in early 2018, 
anime studio behind it was Madhouse. In terms of a brief summary, it's essentially a story about four teenage high school girls who end up going on an expedition together to Antarctica alone, but with an actual expedition group. And on the way, throughout that journey, they end up becoming friends. That is, uh, yeah, that's how I would summarize the plot. In terms of a little bit of background about the principal creative forces here, I mentioned that the Madhouse production, Madhouse is an anime studio that's been around for 50 years, so their longevity says a lot. Uh, they've continued to pump out high-profile work TV series as well as movies over these decades. However, uh, there are a couple of things that I think uh, are probably more pertinent to this discussion just because of the director and the writer who are involved. So, Universe was directed by Atsuko Ishizuka. I haven't watched any of her other directorial works. But looking at her list of credits, I do recognize the names of various shows that she's worked on throughout her career in various other capacities. I'm talking about shows where she only did episode directing or storyboarding, the animation. Some of the credits that jump out to me are Nana, She's Sweet Home, Yuya Yafuru, Prince of Stride, and no Game, No Life. Uh, no Game, No Life is probably the one that jumps out because it's one that she did direct and some of her other collaborators in the universe also worked on that. Shizuka also wrote and directed the 2022 feature film Goodbye Don Gleese, which was released in Japan back in February. I believe it will re receive a U.S. theatrical release later this year. That's probably the work of hers I'm most interested in checking out next. By Don Gleese is another Madhouse production. Principal writer of Universe is Juki Hanada, someone who has an extensive list of writing credits. One of the things that he contributed episode writing to that jumped out to me, Slayers, Slayers Next, Chobits, Strawberry Marshmallow, and Kaon. Those are things that he wasn't the principal writer on, but he contributed a good amount of writing. In terms of the shows and films on which he was the head writer, the ones that stand out are Princess Jellyfish, Nichijo, Steins Gate, which is one of your favorites, Dr. Otaku. That's right. There's Love, Chinibyo, and Other Delusions, Beyond the Boundary, and Euphonium, including both seasons and the movie and Wakaba Girl. The place further definitely has a lot of Kyoto animation vibes with its depiction of high school life and girl characters with emotional depth. I think uh, as I look at his credits, things like Strawberry Marshmallow, Kaon, Nichijo, Found Youth, Wakaba Girl, like all of those, similar to A Place Further Than the Universe, they all have Four main girl character leads, so I thought that was kind of an interesting little tidbit. Maybe that's something he has an affinity for for writing. 
was also head writer on No Game, No Life, which, as we said, was also directed by Ishizuka. Though A Place Further Than the Universe is not their first collaboration, No Game, No Life, also a Madhouse production. And finally, I also want to call out the music composer for this series, Yoshiaki Fujisawa. We learned that he also did the soundtrack to No Game, No Life Zero, which is a 2017 film, Ishizuka and Haneda. Looks like he also composed the soundtrack for by Don Gleese. I'm always interested in these connections between creative forces because sometimes you can tell that people who tend to work together on multiple things seem to gel and you know, there's a, a bit of to it and, and how they are able to complement each other's uh, talents. Very nice. Very thorough uh, overview of the creators. Thank you, Drew. Mm-hmm. Oh, I don't. I don't remember if you said it. I could give you like a a short uh, synopsis of what the story is in general for the view, uh, listeners. Summarize the story. It's about four teenage high school girls who end up going on an expedition to Antarctica. Not by themselves. There's adults there too, like an actual expedition, but. Go on this trip with each other and endure all the obstacles and travails associated with going on such a journey. Also helps them forge bonds and become closer friends and grow as people. Cool. That's great. So yeah, if you haven't watched A Place Further Than the Universe, this is your final spoiler warning. We will now begin our deep dive in spoiler full episode breakdown. Elliot will be giving a brief overview of the summary of each episode and we'll discuss the episodes in chronological order. Also, characters will be introduced in the order they are presented in the anime and we'll try to stop and talk about each of the major characters individually. Alright, Elliot, if you could please tell us the title and first episode of the series. So I was someone called One Million Yen for Youth, and in this episode we meet the main character, who is Tamaki Mari, who goes by Kimari, and she has a list of goals, including getting the most out of her youth. And as a first step, she decides to try and skip school, but then she ends up backing out of it at the last minute, and she actually discusses that with her best friend, Megumi, uh, in this episode as they're in their classroom. Later on, we see that they're at a train station, and Shirase runs past Kamari, and they don't actually know each other at this point, but she drops an envelope. Shirase drops that. Kamari finds the envelope and actually looks inside of it and finds that there's one million yen inside. Later on, she realizes that Shirase goes to the same school as her, and she sees her and returns the money to her, and basically Shirase thanks her because this is going to help her go to Antarctica, and... Some other girls that Shirase may not be friends with find out about how much money she has and they try to shake her down for some of that money, but Kamari ends up helping her out and, and saying that the teachers need them. So Kamari ends up encouraging Shirase to go on this quest to Antarctica and they actually go to the Antarctic expedition ship to look at it. Nice. Thank you, Elliot. 
So what do you guys, uh, yeah, before we go straight in, what are you guys' first impressions or what were your general thoughts when you first viewed, like, episode one? I thought it was a good introduction, uh, something that introduces us to two of our principal cast in Kimari and Shirase. I like how the show takes the time to present to us the fact that Kimari is getting tired of her usual humdrum life. I think it really does well in presenting how this message of how we can take incremental steps to slowly change the things we want to change about ourselves. I think that's one of the recurring themes in the show, just that idea of wanting to change and be more than you currently are. I think Kimari's desire to do something outside of her comfort zone to feel more alive is a universal idea. Then that's contrasted with Shirase's driven pursuit to go to Antarctica. I feel like Shirase's motivation is another universal idea that can resonate with anyone who may not find Kimari's motivation as relatable kind of like complimentary but by using the metaphor of high school life teenage life represent the tedium of everyday living it, it kind of shows that anyone can relate to the emotions of yearning that are at play here you have one character that's yearning to do something but she just doesn't know what she has all this pent-up energy and doesn't want to waste her youth and you have this other character who just the same age, but already has this really strong, focused desire and goal that he's striving to attain, even if it's something that most people her age, probably even people who are older than her, kind of dismiss or find landish. That's right. Uh, let's talk a little bit more about each character so we're introduced first with the i guess you could call her the main protagonist tamaki mari let's talk about what her motivations are or what what is her personality like first she kind of struck me as someone who was very ditzy and someone who didn't really know what she wanted out of life and it seemed really random that she just wanted to go somewhere far away because she wanted to go to kyoto um, and I was like, that's so random that a high schooler just wants like, that thinks that teaching a class just to go to Kyoto is like fun or adventurous. Yeah. She's never skipped class in her life or played hooky. Yeah. It's pretty much the status quo for her. And she doesn't even, she doesn't even make it that day. She wants to go. She just decides to turn around cause it was raining. That's her excuse. Yeah. So... <laughs> It's like reading all the signs. Yo, I, I shot, probably shouldn't go because it's raining. <laughs> yeah. I think, uh, yeah, I think it shows her like she's afraid to fail or things don't work out. She's not brave enough to do things on her own. Uh, but she still writes in her journal some interesting things. Like she wants to go on a journey without a plan. She wants to make the most out of youth. So I think she does have some good ideas, but by herself, I think she's not able to make them happen. So, 
I guess it's appropriate that we talk about her foil, Shirase Kobijizawa. Uh, so yeah, Shirase is super bold. She's passionate. She's emotional, and she's very rigid. She wants to go find her mom, who was basically lost in Antarctica three years before. And that is what gives us the title of the series, because her mom writes a book called A Place Further Than the Universe, referring to Antarctica. But we can talk about that title later as well. Uh, Basically, she's saved up one million yen, and that's what gives us our first episode title, uh, which is interesting because, yeah, one million yen, if you do the calculations... Uh, I think it's only about like seven thousand U.S. dollars, so yeah. it's it's not that much money. But that that was her effort that she did. It's a good amount of money for a kid. Yeah, yeah. to work part time jobs and go to school for sure. So yeah, what do you guys think about Shirase? Yeah, I really appreciate her character. She might she might be my favorite character in the show. I think I really appreciate the growth that she shows the series and the way that we see her at the beginning, she is very driven. She has a goal set before her and it's not a goal that other people think is achievable. So in a way she's also this outcast because people tease her or behind her back because they think she's crazy for wanting to go to Antarctica and she's, High schooler. Doesn't make sense to everybody else. The fact that she's so indifferent to the jeers of her peers, I think it gives her this sense of individuality, the sense that she's got enough self confidence to not care what other people are saying, but at the same time, does kind of make you question you as a viewer it kind of makes the viewer question what is it that made her want to have this goal and is it even realistic you know like you may not be talking her the way that the other characters are but you certainly understand the doubts and the questions surrounding her desires that's right Elliot, uh, any thoughts on Shirase? I think she's a really likable character. In some ways in this series, she kind of seems like more of the main character because this is kind of a her story. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. even if we focus on Imari, uh, we see that like most of what's happening is because of Chirase. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good point. That's right, because basically... Her her motivation to go to Antarctica is what spurs Kamari to want to join her, and there wouldn't really be a plot without her. Um, yeah. So, so yeah, I think her determination is something I admire for sure. Um, it's funny that she's the most serious because later in the show you'll see she's really camera shy. So whenever there's like a camera, she can't like act but she has these moments of like pure courage and pure genius sometimes so i think we'll explore that later Uh, Mm -hmm. so let's talk more about episode one 
uh, like you said, they meet each other, and then uh, basically Kamari finds her envelope of yen and returns it to her, and then she finds out about the trip that she wants to go on, or the expedition, as they call it. Uh, and then they like visit a museum, right, to see... Uh, what no, happened? I believe they visit the actual icebreaker. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. My bad. I think museums later, but yeah, let's talk about realism in this in this series. Because at first, I did definitely did have a little doubts. Like Drew said, as a viewer, uh, even though <laughs> the intro kind of spoils it, <laughs> the intro yeah, music, the opening credits. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You, you know that there's gonna be four girls that make it. But yeah, as a view as a viewer, you're like, is this really gonna happen? How are they gonna make it work? You think the show should have done a fake credits that didn't show them having fun in Antarctica? <laughs> uh, uh, that's a good question because yes and no because I feel like sometimes openers are like the trailers of movies. Sometimes they give away too much information and like you already come to that conclusion of what's going to happen based on what you can see. And then, no, because, like, you just... Sometimes it's nice to see, like, what's going to happen and know, like, it's going to be a good story and it's going to be, like, a happy story versus something where, like, tragedy strikes. Yeah. I also think that this isn't a show that hinges on the will they or won't they make it to Antarctica. So there's no real... uh twist involved there right so it feels like it's i'm pretty okay with the way that they showed us the intro of the girls being friends with each other and making it to antarctica more fascinating to see how they made it and what happens when they get there i feel like the, the opening intro does find enough job setting that up setting up those expectations as opposed to trying to make us wonder are they gonna make it there will they get there you know yeah 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 i definitely uh, i think even though there there are areas in the plot that could be tidied up a bit i think it doesn't really matter to me as much about how realistic it is as i think the whole point is that they're going to experience obstacles and they have to make their journey possible and it's like the mystery of what of how that happens is what matters more yeah, and I think the show does, over the course of the episode, I think it does address most of the logistical or pragmatic questions that we might have as viewers. You know, just thinking about training that's involved, uh, who's even going to allow teenagers to go on an expedition, you know, a scientific expedition to Antarctica. What are they going to be, what are the kids going to be doing when they get there? they actually going to be able to contribute anything like the show tries to address those and and i don't know if there's ever actually been any teenagers that have gone on expedition to antarctica but it feels like for the purpose of the story this show does what it can does what it, they do what they can to make us willing to suspend our disbelief yeah yeah they call it what the first civilian expedition from Japan, at least. That's so what they called it in the show. I don't remember that detail. 
Oh, okay. I, th- I think they definitely call it a civilian expedition to, like, differentiate it. There are some interesting little uh, tidbits, though, because a lot of the stuff uh, regarding the expedition is based in reality. Like, the place where they end up uh, is an actual uh, station uh, in Antarctica. Even the ship that they see at the end of the episode, it's, a, it's based on a real Japanese icebreaker ship. So if you, if you look it up online, uh, you can... You can see the model, like it, the same thing that we see in the show with the orange color scheme and the white trim. Oh, the other funny thing is that the icebreaker ship in real life is actually named the Shirase. Oh, that's funny. That is really Yeah, funny. that must be where they got the name for the character. Yeah, that's a cool detail. Yeah. Oh yeah, before we move on, I wanted to talk about the animation. Uh, what did you guys think about the animation quality? For most of the show, in general, I personally was mostly mostly okay with it. I wasn't expecting much, and it seems pretty all right. There are moments when they use three D uh, animation, which seems kind of off. But then you kind of, I think, as an anime fan, you kind of get used to it that they're trying to expand their horizon with the three D animation. Yeah, you definitely see a lot of three D being used, CG being used in vehicles and ship uh there's that big scene in the opening intro where you have the rotation around the ship and the girls and that that one always looks a little bit off to me because the girls are so flat it just looks weird it's not really anything that like kills me even though being an older anime fan i I do like the hand-drawn stuff i understand how uh the models can save animators precious time yeah, I agree. It's nothing that would bother me a lot, but yeah, some of the CG could be patched up a bit. Uh, but otherwise, I think uh, the environments are very nice. And yeah, the artwork and the drawing, it's con- those are consistently excellent. Like the colors in particular, they're always vibrant and just pop. Yeah, I like the shading. The contour seems good. Uh, the characters are drawn pretty well. Definitely not mm-hmm. as beautiful as like uh, Sound Euphonium or Your Name, but it it holds up. Actually, speaking of Sound Euphonium, I do see some parallels at play here, Episode One, uh, which makes sense, I guess, because it's another Juki Hanada written series. But Ari Kimari in universe definitely reminds me a bit of Kumiko from Sound Euphonium. Because Kumiko is a, she's the main girl in that show and she begins th- that story knowing she wants to find and achieve purpose in something in high school. She just doesn't know what exactly that is. Then Shirase calls to mind Reina, one of the other girls in Sound Youth. Reina is an aloof girl who begins the series with a very clear goal in her mind even if it's so outlandish that she alienates other people around her. And her goal is to be the best trumpet player possible. And uh, her competitive spirit really rubs other people the wrong way, but she doesn't really care if other people don't understand what she's trying to go for. Which is, yeah, again, similar to Shirase's goal of going to Antarctica. Nice. That's a nice parallel. 
For sure, I can see that after having watched Sound Euphonium. Okay, let's talk about episode two. We also get a new character. Elliot, will you start us off? Yeah. So episode two is called Kabuchiko Fremantle. In this, we start off where they're still at the icebreaker, Shras and Kamari, and they decide that they want to join the Antarctic expedition and are starting to discuss it. Megumi, Kamari's best friend, tries to discourage her from going and shows her some concerning news articles about the expedition. And it ends up with Kamari being in detention reading them uh, because she was on her phone during class. Kamari expresses these concerns to Shirase, who's upset, but then talks it over with her. Kamari gets a job at a convenience store near the school, and she meets her co-worker Hinata Miyake, who inquires about the Antarctic expedition and wishes to come along as well. The three of them travel together to Tokyo, to the Shinjuku district, to, to where the expedition members are meeting up, and then Shirase reveals her plan that they're going to reduce a member of the crew and get them him, a guy, to, to sneak them on board, but they're spotted by the expedition leaders who, who recognize Shirase. These girls are chased off by Kane and Yumiko, um, and then Shirase basically offers those two women that chase them off money to get onto the expedition, but gets turned down anyway, and the girls start to head home on a train. Awesome. Thanks. So let's talk about the new character, Hinata Miyake, or we'll just call her Hinata. Uh, we can talk about... She's kind of special, right? She's left high school, uh, from what she's told them, but was able to get her high school certificate ahead of her classmates, uh, and she wants to take her entrance exams in the future. Uh, she's super positive and upbeat. I would even call her relentlessly positive, as she's the most, I think, optimistic in the series. She's surprisingly mature, realistic, and street smart. Uh, she has a lot of quotes that are like little proverbs throughout the series, like, for example, in episode two, she says, if you can still turn back, it's not really a journey. When you hit the point of no return, that's the moment it becomes a journey. Later in episode 12, she says something along the line. She says, to act is not necessarily compassion. True compassion sometimes comes from inaction. So she she's the, I guess she, you would say she's like the mature one in the group. And always He's a walking book of wisdom yeah, or something. <laughs> Confucius or something in the group. But yeah, it's, it always comes out in a weird way, and they always make fun of her for it, but I think she really has some wisdom there. Yeah. So, yeah, she does. Uh, yeah, Ellie, what do you think about Hinata? Uh, I think Hinata is probably one of my more favorite characters in this. She's always upbeat. She always has this shirt that has food on it of some sort. I think I first noticed when she had like a squid shirt on and she would have that constantly on in every scene. Yeah. Even if the girl, other girls had changed their clothes, she was always wearing those random t-shirts. Yeah, it's like squid and like rice ball, sushi. Yeah, she's pretty fun. Drew, what do you think about Hinata? Yeah, so she and Kimari meet when Kimari gets a job at the same convenience store to build up funds for the trip. I think Ata is drawn to becoming friends with her because 
there's that scene when Kimari and Shirase are talking on a street corner outside, or I guess maybe even across the street, but they're just talking so loud about the trip and the doubts that Kimari has, and, you know, still getting to know each other as well, just communicating, and that's uh overhears their conversation and decides that she wants to join them because she really appreciates and is drawn to their earnestness with each other. So I guess we're starting to see how girls' different personalities contrast and complement each other. It's, it's good chemistry for storytelling. Yeah, for sure. Uh, I think because Shirase is so involved emotionally, of course, at this point, her reasoning is finding her mom. She still holds out hope for that. And then Kamari, of course, has never been able to do things on her own, has these doubts. So they still need to build that level of trust with one another. And then it's good to have Hinata step in as like a objective third party. But yeah, I really like I really like the, the their dynamics together. Uh, let's talk about. What goes Hang on, on a second. Oh, what's Hang on, on a second. You were watching the series and you got to this episode. Were you still under the impression that Shirase thought she could still find her mother alive in Antarctica? Yeah, I mean, I think in my like vain hope as a viewer, I was like, is there going to be some miracle later where we just like find yeah. her alive in a bunker somewhere? Yeah. <laughs> Three she years yeah, I had that same suspension of disbelief where, like, you know, like, it's possible. She's probably alive because she kept saying, I'm going to find my mom. And I'm like, okay, maybe she's just lost in Antarctica somewhere. And, yeah. Huh, like, yo, in anime, anything can happen. I don't know. I guess, yeah, I thought maybe they would do that. Although it probably wouldn't be a great ending. Yeah, I think I would have felt cheated if that had happened. I felt I think that would have been too hard to believe. I would have a harder time believing that than the fact that these girls can actually make it to Antarctica. Yeah, I mean. Yeah, when I was reading or when I was watching show, I, I think from the very beginning I was just operating under the assumption that her mother had died three years ago, even though they technically never found her body. It was she was lost in a blizzard. I think yeah. I just. I had the impression that Shirase was mature enough to accept that, you know, even though she was writing these little emails to her mother, dear mom, you know, on her phone and sending them off, even though she knew uh, would get no response, it, I think I just read the text as Cheryl was telling, telling us that was how she was processing or dealing with the, the grief of her loss. Yeah, I mean, for sure that, I mean, we'll go over it more in later episodes, but yeah, I think uh, even though as a viewer, you might want to hope that, I think we all agree there's probably a sense of closure if, you know, she has to accept the reality of her death. So yeah, let's talk about uh, more about episode two and uh, Shirase has this kind of like weird plan. They're going to, like, seduce one of the male passengers on the expedition to sort of smuggle them on board. 
Let's talk about that and what happens sort of after that. Yeah, that was something that I think is played as a joke, but it didn't really land for me. just thought it was kind of a weird way to go about approaching uh, the scene. Maybe it was there just to inject a bit of lightheartedness to the proceedings, but from a practical standpoint, I don't really think that would have been feasible at all, you know, just to be a stowaway or whatever, even just for these high school girls to seduce an older man on the expedition so they could get a spot. I don't know. That that whole thing was questionable to me. It did seem kind of questionable that they were trying to seduce their way because they're just teenagers. And, I mean, that's, like, really unreasonable to expect that to happen. And as well as, like, realistically, they're not going to be prepared for the trip if they do that because they won't have, like, the equipment or, like, the clothes for that or even the training. And aren't they in, like, a red light district or something? Something like that. I think it was implied that they were in the red light district because there were, like, all these brothels and bars. (laughs) Yeah. I was looking at the Wikipedia entry for that episode, and there's a lot of interesting photo reference there, because most of the backgrounds in the streets and the alleys during the chasing are, those backgrounds are just taken from actual photos of, of those locations, so really impressive attention to detail. I think Joe did a good job uh, you know, building up a sense of place. I think it's because their world looks so real. It kind of throws me off when the characters don't act in what I think is realistic. That's probably why the idea of trying to seduce somebody to make it onto the trip uh, didn't really vibe with me. Yeah, that's it's it was a pretty cool scene though. They were def- it was really funny when they're running and. They just like yeah. start dashing. It was well animated. Yeah. It almost was like a Scooby Doo scene where like they're just running around this the city. <laughs> nice. Anime podcast name checking Scooby Doo. Yeah, you got our first episode. <laughs> got to draw from everywhere. All right, uh, let's move to episode three. Okay, so episode three is called "Follows Back, Don't Stop." And in this episode, the girls meet Shirase at Shirase's place to discuss their plans after they've been shot down. And they discover that another high school girl is actually going to Antarctica to post web series videos and reports. And it's just then that that, that girl so happens to show up at her house, who is named Yuzuki. And she actually says that she doesn't want to go and she wants Shirase to go instead. It's then that Yuzuki's mother, who is also her manager, Tamiko, wants uh, wants her to convince her being Shirase to convince Yuzuki to actually go on the trip. Basically, what happens then is that Yuzuki has a strange dream after meeting up with the girls in a cafe and talking to them about the opportunity to go to Anarka. She has a weird dream that she's actually going to be running away with them and they kind of climb into her window and fall down a ladder with her. It's, it's then that Yuzuki breaks down into tears when the girls arrive at her apartment in the morning to join her on her trip to Tokyo because she has a job. Basically, after that, they go to the Polar Science Museum and they have a good time together looking at all the things that they're going to see in Antarctica. And basically, Yuzuki comes to the conclusion that she's not going to go to Antarctica unless those three girls can come along with her. 
Awesome. Great synopsis. Uh, Drew, what do you think about Yuzuki Shirashi? Or we'll just call her Yuzu or Yuzuki. She's a year younger than the other girls. Because I think she said she's a first year and the others are second years. She's also celebrity child actress or social media presence or influencer. I don't know what you call those things, but she's she's got some small degree of fame mm-hmm. to her. And as a result of that thick schedule as a child actress or performer she's had most of her life, she was never really able to make too many friends at school. So that's one thing that we see at play here when she encounters the other girls. But I also had a question for you guys, and I was thinking about it because she shows up at their house, or at Shirase's house. How did she even know where Shirase lived? Uh, was that a detail I just forgot? Because I know in the end of the previous episode, she overhears the three girls on the train when they're heading back after that chase whole scene uh but how did she uh end up going to shirase's house that's a good question i do la do you remember because i don't really remember them in saying anything about that yeah i don't really remember how she finds her house but i remember that she was on the same train as them she might have overheard that they're going back to her place and i think he kind of like stalks them Stalks. <laughs> yeah, I think she stalks him a little bit, and she's like, "Oh, I was following you." Yeah, oh, okay. Because I, I overheard that you're talking about this. Oh, yeah, that would make sense. I mean, going back to the what you said, they showed her in the last episode. The show does a good job of like foreshadowing new characters, new events, and yeah, I mm-hmm. think because Yuzuki is her backstory is basically she's never had a real friend. Because everyone she meets wants to take advantage of her, like get movie tickets, get like, you know, pictures. They don't really care about her. So whenever she like adds somebody in her phone, they always end up like pretty much betraying her trust. So it it would make sense if she stalked them since that's something (laughs) she doesn't understand the social boundaries around. But yeah, I thought her backstory was pretty sad about feeling isolated and lonely. Uh, there's like a scene where uh, Kamari hugs her and then she just... Because Kamari does things, you know, without thinking sometimes. And then later, mm-hmm. I think she like reflects like, oh yeah, this is what friendship feels like. And yeah, I thought uh-huh. I think she's a cool character for sure. I think she's like definitely mature in her work but she's super immature with relationships yeah i think that tracks she has this really overbearing mother that also functions as her manager so she's got she's good at keeping a schedule and fulfilling her responsibilities but it just seems that there's an isolation between her and other kids her age because of kind of schedule and lifestyle that she keeps. Mm. Yeah. Cool. And there's even that scene when they're, I believe it's when they're, all four of them are talking to her in the the cafe and 
Zuki thinks that all three of them, the other three are, they seem like best friends and she's kind of envious of them, but she doesn't realize that the other three have only known each other for less than about a month. So, yeah, yeah it's, it's just the idea of her seeing these girls that seem close to each other and comfortable with each other. It's something that she seems to want for herself. Yeah, I think it's kind of funny just seeing her like figure out like, oh, what this is what friends look like. And oh, can I be a part of this? And then there's this moment where the the girls are trying to convince her to go. And they just like show up at her doorstep after she had like a dream of them coming through the window. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's why the show like weaves together vulnerable moments with comedic moments, and it's like seamless at times. Yeah, it definitely the show this optimistic flavor and tone. I think that ending when she picks up and opens her door and finds the other three for her, and and then she just starts dramatic sobbing that was i felt like that was a moment or a story beat where perhaps a little bit of restraint would have been useful and can see the argument in favor of this sort of loud emotional presentation to hammer home the significance of the moment i I think it's just me personally i probably would have preferred a little more subtlety like maybe if they had just shown her like Tearing up, or she could have even cried, but didn't necessarily have to start sobbing in this dramatic fashion. I think that was something that uh, stood out to me as being be excessively emotional or even melodramatic by the standards of the rest of the show. Yeah, I could see that. Ellie, what do you think about her crying? Uh, I thought it was sweet that she, like, she's, like, finding people that can care for her, and she's kind of overwhelmed because she realizes that these these girls that she's met with aren't just trying to take advantage of her. They're, they're wanting to be friends with her, in a way. Yeah. I mean, it does, yeah, it just shows her just how, I guess, innocent she is, in a way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, because yeah, who shows up to your door? Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. you to work it, after you just met them it's like that's like and even them knowing where you are staying kind of is like them being dedicated to getting to try and be a part of your life one thing i will say about the whole dramatic sobbing scene the way that it breaks out is i think it works as evidence that the show's overall tone is optimistic and wholesome because you have to note that there's no real cynicism on Yuzuki's part that the other girls could just be using her to get what they want, you know? It's like, she sees these three girls uh, banging on her door in the morning, and her first thought is not, hey, they want something from me. They want to use me for my connection to go on this expedition. Uh, That's not what she thinks at all. She's actually just with emotion that they sought her out and 
want her to join them on this adventure. So there's a, a distinct lack of cynicism there. And we also know that uh, that her trust in them is well-founded and she will be rewarded with, you know, real friendship. It's not going to be one of those things where she suffers an anime betrayal or anything like that. So, yeah, overall, I guess I see uh, what the story is trying to get across here. And it, it fits tone of the the piece. Nice. Thanks for sharing, Drew. Oh, yeah, there's like a credit scene after the... Or it's at the end, and we get some more foreshadowing. We'll be introduced to this character later. But, yeah, they give us somebody who was one of the leaders of the expedition previously that probably knew Shirase's mom. So, yeah, the, the series does a lot of that, where they just give us a little taste of what's to come. All right. How about we talk about episode four? Episode four is called Four Caterpillars. In this episode, Shirase and Kamari hand in the permission slips to go to Antarctica to their school. Uh, and Kamari actually gets in trouble for with her mom because she's actually forged her mother's signature and didn't tell her about the trip. It's then that the girls attend a training camp in the mountains to prepare for their trip to Antarctica and are instructed by the leader of this expedition, Gin, and they learn some of the orientation as well as how to hike across hills and how to reach designated waypoints. After that, they spend a night together in a tent, and in the morning, Kamari finds Gin outside of their tent just looking at the view, awaiting the sunrise. Thank you for giving us the synopsis, Elliot. So I viewed this episode as basically a training arc. Uh, there's a really funny scene where Kamari has to go uh, get permission from her mom. And her mom is like threatening her with a ladle. And her dad closes the door behind her. Uh, did you guys like that scene? That was, that was pretty good. Yeah, pretty comical. Yeah, I think that was like probably one of my favorite scenes from this episode because I'm like the dad just like betrayed, betrayed her right there. He's like, oh, I can't help you. All right, bye. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He's like coming home from work or something, and he sees that his wife and daughter are in some kind of argument, and he's like, Yeah, I don't want any part of this. Yep. So yeah, uh, we are introduced to two of the expedition leaders. The captain of the expedition, her name is Gintoto. And we are also introduced to Kanai Makawa, who is the vice captain. So, yeah, let's talk about them. Let's talk about Gin first. She's got some connections to Shirase's mom. I think the later episodes fully explain their backstory, but at least in this episode, we presented with the idea that she was that Gin was the leader of the expedition when Jurase's mother died on the the blizzard or or uh, you know in in the Antarctic so there's definitely a sense of responsibility and loss that she feels over it because it wasn't just some person who died but her friend as well you know and of course there's a 
bit of tension between her and Shirase. They don't, it doesn't really seem like they have anything to say to each other, or maybe they, they recognize each other, but they don't have, you know, it's not a warm kind of relationship at this point. Yeah. Gintoto, she's definitely very serious kind of person very stoic but i think yeah there's like things that we would that will be unlocked later in, in the other episodes uh, ellie any thoughts on on the captain i think she's a good character you know she's like really straight laced ready to go kind of feels somewhat bad about shirase and just isn't sure about if she should take them or not yeah uh, let's talk about Kanai. She's pretty much the opposite kind of of Gin. I think she showed up uh, in episode two during that whole chase sequence. Then she was one of the ladies who talked to the girls after they caught them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But yeah, even building off that appearance and then what we see in this episode... Of the two leaders of the expedition, she's clearly the one who's friendlier and uh, comes across as someone with warmth towards these young girls. So, yeah, even between the two of them, between her and Gin, you can see how they complement each other in terms of their personality dynamics. Yeah, she's a lot more hopeful, optimistic. She's pretty playful. With the girls, I think she acts kind of like their big sister or their mom, kind of on the journey. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I like I like her personality a lot. And well, basically this episode, they're just learning a few basics about uh, you know marking flags and using a compass during the expedition. And we really, I guess you could see like each personality of each character emerge like Miyake is more mature and responsible she acts that way Yuzu is kind of the young and more innocent one Shirase is still super serious and Kamari is like the playful optimistic type she always wants to have fun and there's this funny scene where they're all peering into the sunset at the end and it's like yeah, it's a lot of foreshadowing there, too. The sunset or the sunrise? Oh, the sunrise, sorry. Su- sunrise, yeah, the horizon, I'll say. It's pretty uh, good scene. Yeah, it, again, go- just goes to show how vibrant and beautiful the coloring in this series is. It's a, it, it really is a visually appealing and attractive scene, and it gives us a poetic picture of a new dawn symbolize this trip that the girls are going to embark on because now you know everything's basically official they're completed or they're undergoing their training they've met with the leaders and have the okay so all the uncertainty of the previous episodes is kind of wiped away and we get to see this new chapter begin cool Let's talk about episode five. 
So episode five is called Dear My Friend. And this episode, we are at a school assembly. Kamari and Shirase are presented to the school to acknowledge them for actually going to Antarctica and on the expedition. And this is where Megumi tells Kamari that the nasty rumors have been going around about her and Shirase and the things they did in Tokyo. And Shirase gets upset, but Hinata convinces her to forget about it. And Kamari basically packs for the trip. Kamari, Shirase, Hinata, and Megumi do karaoke together to, to commemorate their last night in Japan. And Megumi is at Kamari's house and tells her that they can't be friends anymore. And Megumi was the one spreading the rumors. And she's distraught at the idea that Kamari is going on her adventure without her guidance. And she that she tried to sabotage her. And Kamari basically rejects her breakup and just decides to go on the trip anyways. Mm. Got some pretty heavy stuff in this episode. Drew, any thoughts? Yeah, this is one of the more emotionally complex episodes as it's about Mari's best friend Megumi dealing with these feelings of jealousy and insecurity in their friendship as the reality of Kimari's trip becomes concrete. The fact that it happens the day before a departure, it just adds to all the urgency. And I think what we see here is the fact that Throughout their childhood up to this point, Megumi has really enjoyed, maybe subconsciously enjoyed this feeling of superiority over Kimari because ever since they were kids, Kimari would always look to her for affirmation and advice. So for her to see Kimari decide to do something so drastic on her own without even consulting Megumi at all kind of hurt her pride. It all just kind of reminds me about this quote I heard about how most people enjoy the inferiority of their closest friends, which is kind of an unkind thought, but maybe to some extent can be true uh, for a lot of people. Yeah. It's interesting how the more Kamari grows to be yeah, less reliant the more Megumi sort of resents her for that. And it pretty much spills out in this confrontation they have. I think it's like, where are they they standing at? Like a temple or something? It's got like, uh, I don't remember exactly. I think it's either a temple or it could just be like a gazebo area at their school. I wasn't, I don't remember exactly, but I remember like the general of what the place looked like in the scene yeah so yeah i think this series is not afraid to explore the really ugly side of friendship uh the really honest and vulnerable side and then i'll read like what megumi says uh to kamari uh she says yesterday when you were talking i finally realized you weren't the one hanging on i was Having you rely on me, consult with me, me getting exasperated with you, pretending to mother you, acting so smart around you. Because if I didn't have that, I didn't have anything. Because I wasn't anything, I didn't want you to have anything. You're not the one who was worthless, I am. Yeah. Pretty much like the, that's like the crux of her emotions right now. Hmm. Uh, Ellie, any thoughts? I thought this one was a pretty good episode. 
you know, just seeing them getting ready to go to school, them kind of being excited because it's on the cusp. And then you kind of just get hit with a sour note of like, I don't want to be friends anymore. And so now you're just like kind of conflicted. It's like, why, why does she want her not to go? And like, are they going to still keep being friends? Yeah, that's a heck of a thing to say to your friend when she's about to go on a trip for a few months. I wouldn't be able to deal with it. But yeah, Kamari responds very positively, actually. She basically says, you know, break up, rejected, and kind of leaves it at that. So let's kind of talk about, like, how do you, uh, like, let's talk about, like, Kamari's response. What do we think about that? It's definitely emblematic of her personality because she is someone who is optimistic and positive. So Megumi saying all that stuff and confessing that she was the one who came up with those nasty rumors, it's easy for Kumari to forgive her because that's just the good-hearted kind of person that she's always been. See that she can move on pretty quickly from somebody doing something mean to her and she's quick to forgive her friend and the fact that all she really says is breakup rejected before she heads off on her merry way shows that on some level there's almost no doubt in Kimari's mind that they're still just going to continue being friends the way that they always have been. Megumi telling her all this doesn't really affect it one way or the other. It's just more Grateful for being honest, I guess. Yeah. I think I wrote down, she even admits to Megumi, Kamari even admits that she hates that part of herself that relied on her. And being able to kind of cast that off, she was able to, yeah, grow and mature in that way. And I guess she's not even really mad about it. Because she knew that, in a sense, this this climax, this kind of conflict was going to happen regardless, you know? Obviously, she probably didn't like that she was doing it so underhanded. But I think, yeah, I think it was inevitable for them to reach this conclusion. Yeah, during that scene, we do, I think we get some lines from Kimari where she tells her that her motivation for going on the expedition is to become a stronger person who won't have to burden Megumi all the time by asking her for advice. You know, it's like Kimari wants to be a person who's more independent and can make her own decisions so that she doesn't have to be a burden on her friend. Like, that's how she's always viewed their relationship. Both parties realize there's something maybe kind of unhealthy about how they've been operating up to this point. So... I think clear this clear communication will definitely help them moving forward. Yeah. Really good episode. Really shows the series and how it can shed light on some topics that maybe people aren't always willing to explore in friendship. But I think it's definitely an important part, especially for Kamari's life and her journey. If we don't have any more thoughts, let's move to episode six. There is one more thing I wanted to call out in this episode. But it's seen when they 
first have the conversation where Megumi is telling Kimari about all these mean rumors. And at this point, she hasn't admitted that she's the one who's starting these rumors, but she's just like saying these discouraging things and, mm. uh, you know, questioning Kimari's yeah. ability to succeed on this expedition. <laughs> yeah, like the the framing of that scene is absolutely perfect. Like this is some of the best stuff in the whole series, I think. Because they're in that again. I'm I can't remember if it was a temple or just like a gazebo area, but the way that shot is framed, they both have their backs turned to each other, and Kimari is standing in the background, looking to her left, and Megumi is sitting and looking in the opposite direction. She's sitting in the foreground, and she's framed by these wooden planks of the bench or the gazebo-like structure that she's sitting in, it really serves to emphasize how far apart they are in this moment and the different directions they're headed. They're so close together, yet in the picture that you're watching on the screen, Megumi is literally framed apart from Kimari. Mm. So I think that's just excellent visual storytelling. And it, it was enough where... Uh, I looked up some of the credits on this specific episode. I I don't know who the didn't write down who the storyboard artist was, but the co- episode director was a guy named Koji Sawai. And I looked up his credits on Wikipedia and saw he worked on mother shows that I really liked a lot, like Pat Labor and uh, Wolf's Rain. He was uh, an episode director on that. So yeah, it's cool to see that these storytellers are able to come up with these clever ways of communicating mood and tone, uh, not just through the dialogue, but through the visual aspect as well. Nice. Yeah. I think I'm just a sucker for these stories that explore friendships and seeing how they depict conflicts and pettiness that arise out of uh, insecurity between these two close friends. And uh, you see these close bonds between these two individuals who have grown dependent on each other. And you see how that dynamic changes as they grow more mature. It really works for me. Like this was probably one of my favorite episodes of, of the series overall. Nice. Thanks for bringing that up, Drew. Hmm. Okay. Uh, I think we can talk about episode six. Episode six is called welcome to the Dorian show. In this episode, the girls are flying to Singapore as the first leg of their trip to Fremantle, Australia. While sightseeing, Hinata becomes increasingly agitated. She eventually reveals that she's misplaced her passport, and it's the Saturday before they leave on Monday. They have to basically go to the embassy to get a new passport for them, for her, and Hinata tells them that they can just basically go on ahead without her, but Shirase gets mad, saying that they need to stick together and that this trip was for all four of them to go. They then go to the airport to switch their Monday flight to a later date, and Shirase has to spend the a million dollars that she's like built up just to cover the costs, and Hinata's passport is then discovered to be in Shirase's handbag. When they first arrive in Singapore, there's a flashback that Hinata had a tire shoe, and Shirase actually has handed Hinata's passport and puts it in her bag. They switch back to their Monday flight, and they get their money back. But as punishment, Hinata and Shirase have to eat a durian, which is called the king of fruit. Cool. Thanks, Elliot. Uh, Yeah, so this is like one of those episodes 
it like brings up a conflict organically. Nada being the one who's he acts the most mature at least. I think she has the hardest time being honest with her like feelings around the other girls, particularly with Shirase. And after she loses her passport, she's pretty embarrassed about it. And they have this like moment where Shirase is like confronting her and trying to like ask her like what's going on. And she's kind of, she's like beating around the bush. So yeah, what do you guys think about their interaction, Hinata and Shirase? Go ahead, Elliot. I think their conflict was basically kind of exasperated because they're traveling for the first time overseas. And it's a subject of responsibility for Hinata because she's always been kind of responsible, so she's kind of agitated at herself because she's misplaced her passport and she's looked everywhere for it. And still can't find it, but she doesn't want to admit to her friends that she's kind of lost it. And so that <laughs> conflict in is in of itself, just like, of course she's upset with herself, but she doesn't want her friends to be upset with her too. And she's just stubborn that way. But Shiraz, it's actually quite funny that she finds it in her bag and she's like, because she got so worked up over it, and then she realizes, oh, this is my fault. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> pretty amusing yeah drew let's talk about you know how it, it kind of unfolds and like what is shirase's response i do think it gives us a really good sense of the bond that they've already built up to this point because even though like you said they have a bit of a conflict over it you do see that shirase willing to sacrifice her money to change their tickets so they can all four of them leave together really shows us that Shirase is not so single-mindedly focused on the expedition that she's willing to leave a friend behind so clearly there's a sense of loyalty that's been built up you know she she's the one who wants to go to Antarctica the most but not so much that She's willing to ditch a friend who has been at her side uh, up to this point. Uh, yeah, I think that adds a good amount of depth to to her character. Yeah, for sure. I'll just read some of the her quotes. She's like basically trying to convince the airport person to change their tickets, and then Hanada is trying to stop her. She says. I don't want to be the kind of idiot who doesn't worry about something just because you say don't worry about it. I don't want to be the type I don't want the type shallow relationship where I go without you because you say just go with me. Just go without me. I don't want to be the kind of coward who gives up without trying even though we said we'd all go together. So yeah, and then we see some tearful response from Hanada. It just shows that Shirase is, in a sense, changing, and she's kind of maturing to see that like this trip is not just about her; it's about what they, what they're doing together as a group, and the friendships that she's making. Yeah, I think 
it's it's really cool to see her letting go of her selfish ambitions for this one moment to cater to her friend. Yeah, definitely. It also makes me think of this thing I heard from the director of this series. In an interview, Atsuko Ishizuka said that the main cast of Universe is missing a piece of themselves, and they find those missing pieces in one another. So if we think of the characters and from that perspective, an episode like this really goes a long way to explore that idea because we've already met the characters at the beginning and we see how they are to start off with and we can kind of figure out how they complement each other. And, and now like we're seeing them change and really become uh, even more mature people as they spend more time with each other. Yep. It really fits the format of this episode too because even though it's not an episode that necessarily moves the overall series plot forward, it does give us a chance to just see the girls hanging out with each other, building bonds, relaxing, embarking on an adventure, just have fun with each other as they explore Singapore. Seeing this play out, it, it just adds depth to the characters and their relationships with each other, even if uh, you know, move the overall plot ahead. Yeah. And then uh, they have that little punishment. I have to eat some durian. Ellie, would you ever eat some durian as a punishment? No, never. <laughs> yeah. Have you guys ever had durian? I think I had it once. I've had it. Yeah. Can't I say I'm a fan of it. I can't, I wouldn't say it's like going to make me vomit or anything either, but. I've yeah. uh, definitely spent time with friends who are big proponents of it. <laughs> so they've had me, uh, they've offered it to me and I just tried it out of curiosity. I have a really poor sense of smell to begin with. So I don't think the smell really affects me, but the texture of the fruit is different. It's not, not like, you know, juicy and wet. I, I, I remember it was kind of like, a weird crunch or <laughs> didn't really feel like fruit or not crunch but maybe like squishy squishiness to it yeah it was it felt like more dry than than anything juicy i think the worst part is that like even if it's like frozen there's somehow a lingering taste of that garbage smell and you can't separate it cuz the smell and taste are so intertwined yeah that was really I've heard funny that sometimes uh, when people get COVID, they lose their sense of taste. So that might be the ideal time <laughs> to eat durian. Yeah, that's true. All right. Great thoughts, guys. What did you guys think of the artwork in this episode? Because I, I particularly enjoyed the cityscapes and colors. To me, it, the quality of the drawings of the backgrounds and stuff was just as good as the sunset in sunrise in episode four just made the episode fun to look at is i thought actually at first i thought is this, is this australia or is this another place because there was like some they're like this really singapore yeah they, uh, had a layover oh okay. on the way to australia australia is where the ship is i see i see yeah i got really confused because there's this like building that reminded me of australia i thought it was really cool the environments are definitely 
uh, top notch and how they like it looks real. Yeah, he's probably they probably used a lot of photo reference and all of the colors and lighting effects. This looks shiny, pretty. <laughs> probably looks better than the actual city. <laughs> yeah. Any thoughts on the environment? I thought it was really nice that you got to like see them kind of have fun around the city in the artwork of Singapore. That it like kind of captured like the uniqueness of it. Mm-hmm. Yep. Pretty cool. All right. Episode 7. Episode 7 is called The Ship That Sees the Universe. In this episode, the girls arrive in Fremantle, Australia, which which is where they will board the ship and set out to Antarctica. Yumiko, the cook on the ship, sends them out to fetch supplies at the local market. This is where they overhear some expedition members who are, over, who are overheard by them talking about the status of the mission. They end up confronting Kane, who concedes that the funding was limited, but they have everything that they need. And at the end of this episode, there's kind of a mini festival for the expedition where the girls are presented in front of all the other expedition members and they give speeches. Cool. Drew, any thoughts on this episode? The part of the episode that uh, stands out to me is how you get this sense that the expedition is understaffed. It's kind of all pervading sense because it's not just the four girls who think that but other people in the expedition are talking and gossiping and whatnot so now our four main girls are starting to feel that concern as well so they're just getting more and more anxious i think it uh kind of feeds this subtext in the show um because we we also learn that the expedition's major investors pulled out after Jurassic's mother died three years ago on the previous expedition. Even though it's not really a focus of the show, I do think that there's something being said here about the lack of interest in scientific exploration and discovery for its own sake. I mean, it obviously makes sense that these investors would be uneasy in the immediate aftermath of a person dying on an expedition, but it has been three years or so and the expedition still doesn't have too many funds. So you you would just think or hope that somebody out there would be willing to commit some kind of financial resources to a scientific expedition like this. Maybe it goes to, maybe it says something about things that society values that this is a pretty low priority. Yeah. We get some pep talk from Kanai. She kind of talks to the girls about how the people on the boat are still determined to go. She acknowledges the danger, but tells them, you know, they've been preparing little by little over the last three years. And I think she, like, even puts it kind of vaguely. She says, like, if I had to put it into words, I think the reason we're going is to see the sky. And then obviously the girls do this little sneak mission. They're trying to find out more. They think Kanai is hiding something, but yeah, there's definitely stuff that's not yet revealed about the expedition and stuff about 
uh, Gin's past. And we get this like nice heart-to-heart between Gin and Shirase. You can see a lot of uh, parallels of the current girl's excitement with you know, Gin and the previous expedition. And it's obviously revealed she's known Takako and Kanai was there too. So yeah, they they talk about after the loss of Shirase's mother, how they lost funding and support, but still the crew returns. So I thought that was pretty touching about the spirit of unity that they have. Yeah, I think that is probably one of the more moving parts of the story of the episode. It's emotionally evocative, uh, especially the scene at the end when the four girls introduce themselves to the rest of the crew during a big meeting. Shirase goes last, but she gets a little tongue-tied to start. Uh, But after a little encouragement from Hinata, she briefly but passionately shares of her will and determination to see Antarctica. And it's as though the rest of the crew see her mother through her because most of those people went on the previous expedition and would have known her mother. I found myself unexpectedly and strangely moved by that scene. It was just well done. Yep. I think we've explored a lot of ideas already. Uh, oh, one thing I did note, Shirase, I think she starts to read in her mom's book. And she reflects on that idea in her speech, talking about wanting to open the treasure chest that her mom alludes to about Antarctica. So I thought that was pretty sweet. Um, mm-hmm. All right. Any other thoughts? Otherwise, let's move to episode eight. Let's do it. Episode eight is called Howling, Maddening, Screaming. In this episode, the ship sets sail from Fremantle. The girls interview some of the expedition members. Imiko sets them to work into the galley, after which they go for a run on the deck. The weight training tries or tires Yuzuki so that she can't lift her arms, and Hinata pranks her by riding on her forehead. This is where they spend time in the bath together, and the girls be- become terribly seasick, vomiting everything that they eat, and Shirase comments that they have they have no choice but to endure it, which is contradicted by Kimari, who notes that being here was their choice. They definitely gotta get used to that ship. They're trying to do some errands. Uh, they're trying to work out. I thought it was funny. Kimari's just, you know, so clueless. She's like, trying to build stamina and she just just starts sprinting even though <laughs> they're supposed to like take it at a at a even pace yeah I thought it's pretty it's pretty funny yeah. yeah yeah i think that last part uh elliot described where girls are like you know struggling with all the things that they have to do but kimari is the one who reminds them that they all chose to be there that gives them resolve to tough things out and you also see the bond their bond as friends being strengthened through this sort of shared struggle alongside one another i feel like that's one of the things that you see in like a sports story or something like that where 
people are training or struggling through some kind of experience together. And because of that, they really have no choice but to end up being closer to each other. Well, either that or they end up hating each other. But in this case, their friendship is strengthened. Yeah. I think they're introduced. Basically, Kanai is trying to scare them with this like story about... I mean, basically the ocean currents get worse and worse as they get closer to Antarctica. And they're all... She describes it like your insides go woo, like a roller coaster. So... It's definitely that like moment they're like suffering together, uh, and then yeah, Kamari is the positive one, trying to get them out of that funk. Uh, I think mm-hmm. she's the one that opens the door, and like they all like go outside and get splashed by the waves, and they all laugh about it being salty. Yeah. Yeah. I just think that that's kind of the the mindset of the anime as a whole. It's just, yeah, we're facing something bleak, but uh, if you have the mindset to face it, you can turn that moment into a positive one. Yeah, and not only the mindset, but the right people alongside you. I think that's a pretty big part of it, too. Yeah, for sure. Even amidst all of the hardship and the struggles that they face, there are still moments of beauty that they all share in. You know, like they don't just try to find their own individual pockets of peace, but they share the beauty of the journey with each other. Like when they see some whales, or it's just, you know, it could just be the vastness of the open sea and the horizon, the ending where they... you know, they have that feeling of the ocean water raining down on them. You know, all these things are beautiful things, not necessarily because they're inherently beautiful, but because they're sharing those things with each other. Cool. Any other thoughts? The CG for the ocean looks pretty good in this episode. Yeah. It's very dark. It's got nice shading. <laughs> Mm-hmm. It's very like scary, ominous. Yeah, yeah. It's this episode kind of feels a little bit like the Singapore episode, where it's not really about a whole lot of stuff happening, but it's really good for character building and allowing us to see the bonds of friendship being forged. Because you could have easily just done a montage of the girls on the on the boat, on the ship, you know, and it could have been done in like five minutes, but they devoted a whole episode to really give us a strong impression of what that time was like. Hmm. Yep. Cool. All right. Should we go on to episode nine? Yeah. Antarctica, mm-hmm. or episode nine is called Antarctic Love Story. In this episode, the girls practice jumping rope. Toshio Zaisen asks them for relationship advice, which inspires the girl to interview Gin about her love life. Karase ends up having an intimate conversation with Gin about Takako, which is her mother, while the others listen from the from in listen into the conversation from below the deck. 
and then you see several flashbacks of Shirase growing up in her relationship with Gin and Takako. This is where the ship reaches peak or the packed ice and goes into icebreaker mode, and they eventually reach their destination and disembark into an Antarctica. This is where Shirase vents her feelings about everyone who doubted that she would ever get there. Nice. Yeah, this is a fun episode. You kind of get a lot of different side plots going on. We got Zaizen, who's like this clueless, kind of helpless guy. He's got a crush on the captain. And then we got some moments that we see flashbacks with Gin and Shirase and them not knowing how to interact with each other. And then Takako was always trying to bring them together. Uh, yeah, I, I think it was pretty cool to see that. Uh, Elliot, do you, did you know, uh, have anything to say about like their relationship between Gin and Shirase? I think it's a very, uh, how do you say, very like hard relationship to bear right now because Gin lost her mom as her partner and on this expedition and Tarase lost her mom. So it's kind of awkward between them because Gin kind of feels responsible for losing her mom. And you see that and it's like the first time they've actually had a deep conversation with each other after her mom passed. And even them just spending time together is a fun experience. Yeah. Drew? Yeah, definitely seeing Gin and Shirase interact with each other shows that complex emotions are at play. It's really layered. Other powerful thing we see is uh, the scene where Shirase reminisces about the days following her mother's death. And she says it was as though she had been going through her normal daily life only she was waiting every day for her mother to come home. And she knew that wasn't going to happen. I just thought that was a really simple but profound portrayal of grief and sense of loss. Yeah, for sure. I think I noted down basically what Gin says is she says in the middle of the episode. You know, she probably hasn't forgiven me yet, referring to Shirase, since uh, Gin was the one who canceled the search three years ago. And then they, Shirase and Gin have this like really emotional dialogue. Shirase admitting she doesn't know how to feel still. Even, and then, you know, she's, she asked her, do you want me to say that I hate you? But she really doesn't because she doesn't really know what she feels and then Gin, obviously, as the captain, that was her best decision. Because, yeah, that's she was just following what she thought was best as the captain. And so there's some really raw emotions with Gin feeling guilt over the past. And Shirase is not sure of how to deal with this sadness and longing. And yeah. then I think there's this really cool like scene that the ship breaks through an ice patch 
and there's like mm-hmm. some really nice music in the background. I kind of noted how it like reminded me of in Sound Euphonium when music plays with it usually no- signifies like the de- determination of the girls and sort of that mm-hmm. sadness and or not sadness but like kind of a longing there is to like succeed. Yeah. That yearning. Yeah. The whole scene is a potent metaphor for Jurase and Gin's relationship too because they've got no choice but to forge ahead again and again in order to have any kind of relationship approximating what Akako would have wanted them to have. So as they're talking, you know, it's very kind of tentative uh, discussion that they're having, but the idea of breaking the ice is presented literally with the icebreaker crashing through, you know, breaking that iceberg or whatever the technical term for it is. Uh, Yeah, I I like that kind of physical imagery when it's logical to the plot and fits the emotional component of the story as well. Great thoughts. Do you like the ending when they finally get the chance to stand on the ice and Hirase takes that opportunity to basically scream and shout all the frustrations she's held in against all the doubters and believers and betrayers who never believed in her? <laughs> yeah, I feel like I feel like that's something that we all resonate with. I think we all feel yeah. in once time in our lives like people doubting us. And I think it was funny the crew was also echoing her in your face. Yeah. It's amusing and powerful at the same time and totally in line with her personality. Yeah. And it's kind of yeah poetic that she takes like the first step and the girls want her to do that. So that was, that was cute. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. Any other thoughts? Okay. Let's go to episode 10. Episode 10 is called Partial Friendship. This is when the girls arrive at COA station, which is the research base, and the girls are put to work moving gear and doing cleanup. This is where Yuzuki gets an email saying that she's been chosen for a role in a TV show. She she isn't sure if she wants to do it, but accepts when she hears that Daihimi is listening to her pop song and realizing that it'll make other people see her, other people happy to see her in that show. Yuzuki sulks when she finds out the others became best friends but didn't invite her. They discuss the nature of friendship with the contract. The exhibition celebrates Christmas, and Yuzuki breaks down in tears when the others actually come to celebrate her birthday, which passed by unnoticed during the voyage when they were seasick. Later, Yuzuki apologizes to them, and Kamari comments on it, saying that they are friends. Oh, this is the, uh, uh, was it Sawa Station? That you were talking about earlier? It's like yeah, based on a it's real also, life. I've seen it also spelled Showa, like the oh, Showa, okay. calendar period. Yeah, that's based on a... It's What we see in the animation is based on the actual location in Antarctica. So you can look it up on uh, Wikipedia. And there's there's even like a picture of it. Of, of like the sign of in front of the base of the station and you know it it's accurate to reality hmm. yeah those cool little details like that really make the anime sh- like more 
shine more realistic. Yeah, they did their research. Yeah. Let's talk about Yuzuki or Yuzu and giving her friends a friendship contract. Any thoughts? Have you ever given anyone a friendship contract? <laughs> I don't think we'd be friends anymore. <laughs> so no. <laughs> but yeah. Uh, Ellie, I what do you friends. think about that? <laughs> uh, that's pretty awkward, but also really relatable to being a teenage girl in some way, because mm. I think as teenagers, sometimes you're just unsure where you stand with your friends sometimes. Mm-hmm. so for her especially in her shoes and experience she didn't really have genuine friends and to like feel like you're left out because people just wanted to use you it's kind of like okay i really want to know if you're my friend or not and there's i think that's where it comes from that insecurity of the friendship so i think that's why it's kind of relatable especially if you struggle with that kind of thing but it's very awkward to get people to sign a contract to say, yes, we'll be friends rather than experiencing pure friendship, which is just like you kind of just have a common thing that you want to do and you just do it together and you start hanging out and that's how you become friends. Yeah. I think for sure there's a lot of stuff going on in this episode. Like Kamari and I just like burst into tears not even, I mean, she was definitely hurt, but almost out of, like, pity, she says, like, of course you don't know, referring to Yuzu never having, like, true friends. And then we see Hinata as the mature one trying to explain that uh, Yuzuki doesn't realize, like, what the what a real friend is and that she has to realize if someone hands you a contract, that implies that you don't trust them. And so Kamari has already accepted her as a friend. So there's whole that, that whole like tension and conflict there. Uh, what do you think about that, Drew? Yeah, I think it makes sense uh, how things played out the way both of you guys have already described. But I also like how the story in this episode deals with friendship from this perspective and the way that the characters describe it and I guess try to define it is pretty interesting too because one of the characters I forget if it was Kimari who says it or one of the one of the other characters, but somebody Yeah, I think it's French Yeah, she says friendship is more of like this vague relationship, unlike being a parent or a daughter. But because of that vagueness, there are no restraints. And that lack of restraint is what makes friendship beautiful. So that was definitely something uh, for for us to chew on, you know, just to think about the definition of friends, friendship. Yeah. And then I think Kamari also, she like adds something about she's been sending updates to Megumi Obviously, they had that whole, like, blow up, but she realizes that even though Megumi doesn't always respond immediately, or she 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 knows, like, she's reading her text, she gets the read receipts, uh, that's pretty meta, 
But yeah, like she's she realizes that Kamari some oh sorry, a Megumi somehow feels what she's feeling and she kind of she describes that like a in a vague way that's what friendship is to her. So yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That was pretty sweet. We yeah. get yeah, we the get end the ending of the episode. Scene. Yeah. Sorry, you go. You go. Yeah. I was just going to say the ending of the episode where they celebrate Yuzu's birthday and she starts crying because it's the first time she's ever had friends celebrate the occasion. That was a pretty nice moment too because it works as a callback to her first episode or her first appearance in episode three when she's crying as the other girls see her at the door. But this time it feels it feels more believable to me or real to me that this would be a moment that would move her to the degree that she would cry in front of everybody again yeah must have been the sweetest cake she's ever tasted yeah it's pretty it's pretty good i want some cake (laughs) yeah i think it's also like isn't there like the uh, scene where like kamari like jumps off the ceiling in like a santa suit or something I don't know. I just thought that was hilarious. One of these like random Kamari moments. Yeah. Comedic. Let's move on to episode 11. Episode 11 is called Bash That Drum Can. In this episode, the girls help Yuzuki run through some of the dialogue for her TV show that she's going to be on. To everyone's amusement, Kamari gets a sunburn on her face because she wasn't wearing her face mask. They spend time in the bath together, and Chirase shows off the mahjong skills she's learned from her mother. The extradition sets up a video conference with the link to Japan, and Kamara's family is one of those who show up on the video feed. Hinata becomes upset when some of the girls from her old high school appear on the video to greet her. Later, she explains that the, to, to the other girls that are on the trip that these girls from the track team bullied her, and then she tells stories of how they ostracized her for being a better runner than they are for, for only being a first year. It's then that they go on an overnight expedition to a remote site where there's exposed rock and Tarase broods over how the track team treated Hinata, but Hinata insists on letting that matter drop. At the end of the day, on the next day, there's another video conference with Japan again. Tarase confronts the track team girls and tells them to piss off, and they celebrate the new year, and the girls hang up an empty drumming can and make a makeshift Buddhist temple bell so they can perform a purification ritual. Thanks, Elliot. It's a lot to unpack. Yeah, who wants to start? <laughs> I think one of the things that we see here is the different approach that Hinata has compared to someone like Shirase in dealing with you know people that harmed her or betrayed her trust. Like with with Hinata She's clearly uncomfortable about addressing these former friends directly, although internally pretty apparent that she's still pretty furious at them. And then we have that scene where she's just yelling and stomping on the snow while Shirase is secretly you know, creeping up on her, watching this behavior. Yeah. <laughs> she's, like, she's like screaming and just kicking. Yeah. Yeah. I think the episode does a good job addressing friendship between the four girls and their relationships with each other and, and how they care for each other. Because it does make sense that Shirase is the one who feels most offended on behalf of Hinata. Like in a way, she feels more offended 
than Hinata does herself. Mm-hmm. And the way that she handles the situation with Hinata's ex-classmates, it's something that goes beyond the simple platitudes of forgiveness that you might expect to see in a lot of other shows or stories. I don't think this show is saying that there's no place to forgive people who have wronged you, but when you look at it, when you look at that scene in the context of the entire series, it does feel valid to see this alternative kind of response. It's the kind of thing that gives the overall series more depth because it acknowledges that kind of complexity and how sometimes, uh, can't always fall back on the feel-good cliche of just, you know, give the people who hurt you and then sing Kumbaya and all will be well, you know? Sometimes uh, moving on is is tough because as Shirase says in her rant to those other girls, she says that the uneasy feelings that they feel, the uneasy feelings of guilt, that's that should be their punishment. You know, that's what they have to live with. Or the damage that they've already caused to Hinata. So, to me, it's pretty interesting to see that we can tell a story here that doesn't end on that uh, traditional happy note where everybody gets along with everybody. Yeah, for sure. Elliot, you think, uh, what do you think about Shirase's response? You think she overstepped it? Would you do the same? Uh, I don't think she overstepped. I think she did what she thought was right and defend her friend basically to her bullies or past bullies and basically telling them, yeah, you, you messed up. You can't get, you can't take back what you've done. All you can do is move forward. And I think that's something that is planted in Shirase. So she stuck up for her friend Hinata and basically that piss off because like you can try and be her friend now because like oh you're conveniently coming when she's like most popular and doing something crazy and you want to kind of be a part of it but now you you've messed up because you didn't actually do this in her real life mm-hmm. yeah I think <laughs> yeah I think definitely there is room for forgiveness but I feel like in this situation, there's like, yeah, we have to just move on because basically they did something really hurtful to Hinata and it even spread lies about her even after she left school. So I think there's like a huge, there's just this huge, I guess you call elephant in the room that Hinata has been dealing with for all the, all this time and. I think Shirase like sees that and understands it a, in a similar way her own baggage with with uh, the rumors that are spread about her and Antarctica and the kind of bullying she's experienced. So I thought, yeah, I thought it was I thought it was appropriate uh, that mm-hmm. she said this, uh, especially to these girls on camera, because I, I think otherwise it might have even continued going on and. Yeah, I thought it was it was a great moment to see Hanada sort of take the the back seat and let her friend like take care of her in a sense. And yeah, I, yeah. 
That whole rant was kind of cathartic. Yeah. I think uh, I think I I think uh, originally when I watched it I I think I like confused like I thought like oh the crew was also saying piss off but I think I confused <laughs> it with the, the other episode when they're saying in your face. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It would have been funny to picture 40 adults <laughs> screaming piss off to a couple of high school <laughs> girls on yeah. a satellite link. That yeah. a bunch of other people were probably watching. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, that would be funny. Yeah, I like I like the they're showing secure and insecure sides of each character, and then we yeah. really see the bonds are solidifying. Yeah, like like that when what you said about what the director said about them completing each other. You can really see it mm-hmm. in this scene. Yeah. Definitely. Cool. This episode also has some pretty good landscapes and horizons. Like th- they're not really a focus of the sh- of the episode, but you get these little camera pans of the different scenes that they're in, or the the scenery. It's just eye candy, like different uh, parts of Antarctica that are a little bit more uh, unusual. But it's just. No, it just shows that the place is full of beauty and wonder. And I kind of wish that we just got more of it because that artwork was really beautiful. I bet they probably just like use some photos to inspire those drawings. So it, it does make me feel like looking up some documentaries of Antarctica just to see, uh, you know, visuals of it. Yeah. Wait, the one with the one with Morgan Freeman and the and the Emperor Penguins is that that's is that Antarctica? <laughs> uh, I, don't I can't know. remember where that was. Yeah, I don't remember either. I went through a period last year when I was watching a ton of documentaries on YouTube about penguins in Antarctica and various other wildlife. Yeah. So it was, but those were more focused on those animals, you know. So yeah. it wasn't. As much about like the nature of expeditions and and research stations and stuff, that'd be pretty interesting too. For sure. All right, great thoughts. Let's move on to episode twelve. Episode twelve is called "A Place Further Than the Universe." In this episode, there's a flashback that shows Shirase three years earlier getting news about her mother, Nai announces a three-week-long expedition to the Inland Research Station and invites the girls. Shirase has to think about it. She discusses her feelings with Gin, while the other high school girls leave her alone to decide for herself. She counts out the million yen, remembering all the work that it took to get it, and decides to go along. Yumiko holds an Antarctic barbecue, and she tells them to eat fast or it will be cold. The journey begins using a caravan of snowcats, and it's a lot colder at a higher elevation inland. They see a sun pillar. Kamari manages to hammer a nail into a plank using a banana. The girls have a sing-along at, atop the snow cat. They arrive at the inland station where the team intends to build an observatory. The girls search for the building for some article left by Takako, something to remember her by, and find her laptop. Everyone weeps as Shirase boots up the laptop and discovers all of the unread emails she had, which she has been sending her mom over the years. Now she's doing... And has she's been doing through the previous episodes. Thanks, Elliot. 
Uh, yeah, this is. Would you guys say this is like the true ending of the series? Yeah, I think this is the emotional climax of the whole story, and episode mm-hmm. thirteen is more of an epilogue. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a lot to unpack. Basically, let's well, let's just start with they're just they're gonna go to where they last saw Takako. And how did, uh, I mean, we just see, like, how Shirase reacts. Uh, she's not really sure of what she should do or what she should feel. Yeah, let's talk about that and her sort of weirdness in the in the beginning of the episode. Yeah, you know that a lot is going on when they forego the opening credits and just go straight into the story. Mm. Yeah, I think I think she said something along the line. Shirase said something about if she comes to accept that her mother's gone, she's worried she'll feel that nothing for the rest of her life. Yeah, I think she says that uh, she's. She's tentative about going because I think she says that to her it feels like if she goes and don't find anything, any trace of her mother, then there will be nothing left for Shirase other than empty feeling. And it, it does go back to what we've heard from her in previous episodes about how she was going through her daily normal life and routine but felt every day she was just waiting for her mother to come home even though... She knew that she wasn't coming back. So maybe it it all goes to say something about how difficult it is to let go of the hurt from losing a loved one. So, you know, even though it wasn't like she couldn't function in life because she clearly was able to do pretty well for herself, there's still heaviness to her emotional state overall. Yeah. And ever since her mother died, disappeared, However you want to say it, Shirase has dedicated herself to going to Antarctica and perhaps working towards that goal was enough to occupy her mind from feeling the full brunt of that emotional weight. Now that she's on the cusp of definitively proving for herself that, yeah, her mother really will never come back, you know, maybe that's a thought that is too heavy for her the moment. Nice, good thoughts, Drew. Ellie, what do you think about what do you think about this situation with Shirase? Which one? Her finding the laptop? Oh, I well, we'll we'll, we'll get to that. But uh, basically, the girls are like trying to give her space. I think Hanada like quotes. She says like to act is not necessarily compassion. True compassion sometimes comes from an action. Yeah, what would you what would you do in that situation if your friend was acting weird? I think I would give her space, them space, just because I think in this instance it is the right thing to do because she's worked all her hmm. kind of teenage years to get to this point and she's kind of lost, but she needs to figure out what she needs to do and you can you can always try and steer your friends in the right direction, but 
ultimately cannot make that decision for them and they need to come to that conclusion themselves. And this is the instance where Shirase needs to do that herself. And she can she can have the influence of her friends, but ultimately it's just gonna be better that they leave it up to her instead of trying to convince her that this is the right thing to do. Guys are very mm. mature. <laughs> yeah. I think yeah, I think it, it shows a lot of growth from the other girls as well. Um it's ironic that Shirase sort of steps in for all of them in certain moments, but in this one moment they're wise enough to see that she needs the space from them. Cause yeah, she's the only one who's ever gone through this type of thing out of all the girls. Um and then yeah, we get this like heart to heart scene with Gintoto and they're both talking and then we see we see Gin herself accepting the reality of Takako's death and saying like you know I came here because I thought of the unknown idea if 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 Takako really wanted me to return or not cuz there was no way of confirming that uh, I think they have a flashback where the last thing that Gin hears from Takako is it's beautiful. I think is that is that explored in this episode or the next one? I think that's in this episode. Okay. Uh, her last words over the walkie-talkie yeah. to Gin are so beautiful. It's so very beautiful. Yeah. It must have been like. I don't know what she was seeing at the moment. Maybe it was just the sky or, or the horizon in yeah. the night or something. But yeah, she really doesn't know what Takako would have wanted. And she's kind of just going out of her own will. But yeah, that was definitely a touching moment between them. Yeah. There's another touching moment in the uh, scene when the girls are in the snow cat sleeping. And Mari wakes up in the middle of the night and sees that Shirase is awake and tells her that she's really and truly grateful that she was able to accompany her and the others to Antarctica. You know, it's that scene where, uh, or that whole feeling of how it's not necessarily about where you are, but it's about the people that you're with. And because of friendship with Shirase and because of this expedition, Kimari has been able to make the most of her youth, which is what she wanted to do. Um, but at the same time, what's even more important is that they did this together. They went together and she probably would have loved it wherever they went as long as they were all together. So it's it's a nice and sweet and honest affirmation of friendship. There's also a nice bit of symbolism with the snowcats connected to each other with rope. There are four vehicles, like two of them are snowcats and then, or three of them are. And then like, there's another one that looks a little different uh, that just kind of like plows the snow ahead of them. I don't know the technical name for the vehicle, but yeah, you know, just seeing these four vehicles lined up, connected by rope, it's very symbolic of our mains. Hmm. Good catch. And then we also see them learning about the importance of these ropes and how Takako basically disappeared in the previous expedition because she had separated from these ropes. But let's talk about the laptop. 
Mm-hmm. So I, I think this laptop means a lot more to Shirase than it would anyone else at this moment because it was her mom's. And this is how she communicated with her mom while she was in Antarctica. And like just seeing all those emails open up that she's been sending and realizing that her mom didn't really abandon her, but kind of left that laptop there and kind of was going back to go get it, but then got caught in the storm that you realize that it was so important to her. Yeah. Yeah. It's pretty tragic. Pretty sad. I think I counted more than 1,100 unread emails. So she's probably been writing every day since yeah. the disappearance. Um, I'll just read the last email she wrote to her mom. So I thought this was, is, yeah, this is like super tearjerker. Dear mom, I've made friends. I, who thought. I'd be fine by myself forever, now have friends. They're all a little weird, a little frustrating, a little broken, but I have friends who are willing to travel to Antarctica with me. We fought, we cried, we had problems, but they are willing to travel this far with me to this place where you were. I was able to come this far because of them. Mom, what can you see from where you are? Will I be able to see the same sights that you saw? I'm going to be there soon, the place where you are. Yeah, I, I mean that if that I mean, that pretty much sums up the sort of emotional climax that we see here. Mm-hmm. We see that real spiritual connection that she wants to make with her mother, because we know at this point it's pretty much confirmed that she's gone. Her mom is gone. So yeah. Yeah, that ending scene was as the inbox fills with all those unread messages and then Jurase begins to sob and calls for her mother. It's like she's finally allowing herself to feel grief in full without really trying to hold back or disguise any of those emotions. Then you see those other three girls sitting on the floor right outside her room. You know, giving her her space again, but they're being affected just as deeply uh, as Shirase, just sobbing and, and holding on to each other. So it's a really powerful and emotional expression of solidarity and empathy. And yeah, it's a, uh, it was pretty stirring stuff, man. I, I like that scene. Yeah, that was... Very moving. Uh, oh, Elliot, I think you had like a good analogy for this movie. You said it reminded you of something that you saw. Oh, I think this whole journey of this series kind of reminded me of <laughs> the Sisterhood of Trampling Pants, where mm. they're kind of all in it together, and it's a spiritual journey for most of them. For Shirase, it's kind of literal too to like go find her mom and go find where she has been. And I think that's like really where that bond comes together for them. They've all taken part of this and now they're forever changed. Is that a movie you would recommend, Elliot? Uh, I think it is a movie I would recommend. It's definitely not an anime because it's a live <laughs> action. Yeah. But if you feel like expanding your cultural knowledge, I would say it's one of the movies you should probably watch. 
Is it going to make me cry? I cannot say that it will make you cry. It's definitely <laughs> a tearjerker, but sometimes the tough people don't end up crying and they fight back the tears just like Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, it's just someone's just cutting onions. Someone's just cutting onions. <laughs> uh, I have a question for you guys as well. Sure. But seeing as how this episode is titled the same thing as the series, how do you define what title means? What is the place further than the universe? To me, an anime fan, I would say it could literally be anything. Because... Um, you never know what you're going to get from the title. Sometimes titles are very literal and sometimes titles are very figurative um, because you just don't know what to expect when you read that title. And so for me, I thought it was going to be more of like a fantasy anime where we're going further than the universe, right? That's what a place <laughs> further is. But it turns out that it's, I think this anime is more of a spiritual sense of a place further than the universe where you cannot go. Uh, where most people don't even dare to tread, where most people won't experience in their life, push to your extremes and put in a life or death situation where you could die if you mess up, especially for these teenage girls, or and even just doing the unthinkable. And I think that's what that title of this anime means, is like it's a place further that you thought you could go, and it's something that's going to teach you something about yourself yeah I, well said yeah i mean i don't really have much to add to elliot's description except uh yeah i mean the definitely could take it literally as you know this place is somewhat alien somewhat uh a very unusual place but you could take you could take it figuratively too as like these girls are all arriving at that place <laughs> in their in their friendships in their hearts that uh shows that they're outside of what's normal outside of who they used to be in a sense uh and they explore this more in episode 13 where Shirase makes a speech basically saying like Antarctica strips you down to the you know to to the bare bones and you have nothing to rely on but each other so you can definitely interpret it like that that antarctica or this place further than the universe is like where you can find like your true self because all of all the time you have is to rely on your team and you can't just hide from your fears in that in those moments so yeah, I think yeah. That there's definitely like both. Yeah. Yeah, it's definitely a creative and poetic title. It's intriguing. It's a it's evocative and I think it's something that can just grab somebody's attention from the title alone. I think that's what or at least for me, that's how I noticed it first, because I was like, Oh, that's a intriguing title. I don't know what the story is about, but I kind of want to find out now. Yeah. Yeah, and like for me, when I was trying to figure out what this title means, I had a few ideas, but it also feels like one of the 
elements at play is that it's open to interpretation. And what you guys said makes a whole lot of sense to me. But uh, one of the things that, or a couple of the things that I was running through in my mind was that uh, maybe a place further than the universe was just reaching Antarctica itself because it is very foreign and alien. And then as the series was progressing, I started thinking, oh, maybe it's referring to distance between people between these girls that just met each other and you know they're slowly getting to know each other and bonding and becoming closer and closer and then as we learn more about Rase's mother i was thinking oh maybe it refers to that place just out of reach where she can't see her mother again hmm. so yeah it just felt like a title with so many possible meanings it it's kind of fun to think of all the things that it can evoke yeah nice okay i think that's pretty much episode 12 let's go to episode 13 episode 13 is called we'll go on another journey someday at the start of this we see hinata leading the shift change daily meeting and the girls head out on a snowmobile for a nice operation, which takes them to a glacier where they eat shaved ice. Some penguins approach Shirase, who appreciates being with those penguins, and Kamari suggests that they stay on through winter, but the idea is shot down by the other girls. Kanai suggests that they choose one last adventure before their departure to, to back to Japan, and the girls ask to play baseball. Shirase gets a haircut, which is pretty short, just like her mom's, and Shirase gives a heartfelt speech at the final expedition's assembly. And this is where Dai Hime, the guy who's listening to Yuji song, actually asks for her autograph. Further down the line, we see that on board the expedition ship, night falls for the first time in weeks, and the girls that are traveling back see the Aurora. Yin finds an unsent email on Takako's laptop and sends it to Shirase. Once they arrive back in Japan, they say goodbye to each other on a train platform, and they take separate trains. This is where we see kind of an epilogue of Yuzuki greeting her mom. Shirase leaves an offering at her mom's shrine. Benita gives a present to her boss. And at home, Kamari is texting Megumi, who actually responds that she's actually in the Arctic and has seen the Aurora herself. Cool. Yeah, it's definitely a really cool episode, seeing everyone sort of say goodbye, but also... I think Kamari, like, she kind of convinces the girls to make a promise to come back. I don't know if they will or not, but, like, it's that hopeful idea that they want to return together. And then I forgot to mention this in the last episode, but there for the, for, for the first time I found a comment on in Crunchyroll for episode 12, that kind of shed light on the laptop because I think when they were discussing her mom's disappearance, they were talking about how, oh, she left something at the inland station. And then, of course, later we find the laptop. So it's probably that's what she wanted to get. And like this idea that her mom like risked her life just so she could connect with her daughter. Man, that was pretty powerful. So. 
Yeah, thanks mm-hmm. to whoever in the comments <laughs> kind of pointed that out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the one time that a Crunchyroll comment has helped us. <laughs> yeah, the one time. And then, isn't there like an email that was sent? Is that from Gin who sent that? So the laptop had one email that Takako had written, and it was just trapped in her outbox. Oh, I see. I see. Yeah. And Gin was the one who, because Shirase gives Gin the laptop at the end of it when they when oh, the yeah, girls yeah. leave. Gin ends up uh, seeing that unsent email, mm. so she sends it to Shirase. Yeah, that was pretty and sweet. I think it. Yeah, I think it's a picture of Takako viewing the aurora and just saying, including a note that says it's even more beautiful in person. And it just so happens that. Shirase gets that email when she and the other girls are uh, on the ship, but they're looking up and they can finally see that aurora. Yeah. That's a nice moment. Yeah. Yeah, this final episode is a really fitting epilogue to the whole story. So many great little details, even down to something like Shirase cutting her hair and uh, she looks more like her mom with that haircut. Um... Then the speech that she gives when the team says a formal goodbye to the girls. She, Shirase gives that speech about uh, why she wanted to go to Antarctica. And she basically says that when she was a kid, she kind of resented how her mother's attention was always centered on Antarctica. And obviously the fact that she died there didn't help. But because of all that, Shirase wanted to see Antarctica for herself. And in so doing somehow be closer to a place further than the universe. It's an honest and emotional speech that moves some of the adults there to tears. I do think the show is at its best when presenting these earnest and sincere emotions alongside beautiful imagery of the Antarctic. There's just something very satisfying seeing Durase vocalize the lessons she's learned. You really get that sense of character growth and progression because the way that we see her from the first episode to this final episode is a lot of progress in her character and yeah i really appreciate that storytelling hmm. cool uh, elliot any thoughts on this last episode i thought it was really cool that they play baseball i mean that's something to do yeah yeah so random I mean, you got to keep the morale up. Yeah, no kidding. I mean, I think, yeah, I think J- Japan is loves baseball in a way that we love baseball as Americans. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it's pretty popular there. Oh, I think there's like a comment that Kamari makes at the end. She says, like, even when we're not together, we can be together. After all, we're still who we are. So, you know, she's kind of assuming the Hanata moment but yeah she, i think the girls like realize yeah we're not we might you know be busy for the next few months have our own lives school yuzu has like a drama but we're we're going to keep in touch and the bonds that we made in antarctica are not easily broken so, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah oh also shirase leaves her 1 million yen in antarctica <laughs> Yeah, which is poetic, but in my opinion, I would have kept it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> definitely. Yeah, 
I don't know, Takako's like rolling in her grave. You should have spent <laughs> it on college. How did I raise you? Did you guys have any other thoughts on that ending montage? Oh, was Megumi literally in the Arctic? I wasn't sure at first. When she pretty was sure there. that's what the idea was. Although it would be pretty hilarious if she was just using Photoshop and <laughs> messing with her friend. Yeah. Ellie, any thoughts on the ending? I liked it. I think it was a good closure to this whole series. Shows that they came full circle. Kind of were able to go to Antarctica and come back safely. And knowing that they probably would go on an adventure again and they have this bond with each other. So they're not permanently apart, but they have this bond of their trip from Antarctica. Cool. Yeah. I guess in a way, maybe Shirase leaving that 1 million yen in the inland outpost, maybe that, uh, I guess it kind of functions as a symbolic sacrifice of sorts that perhaps represents a sense of newfound peace that she's achieved. Yeah, I think that was some good closing thoughts. Overall, would you recommend this series to a friend? Definitely. The real question is, would you recommend it to an enemy? <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to name any names, but I think you you and I both know who we're thinking about. So, <laughs> frenemy, uh, you know, yeah. I think I would recommend it to a friend. Yeah. Yeah, the 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 real or realer question is: What about people who don't appreciate emotional growth? <laughs> no, then I wouldn't. Yeah, probably not. Definitely uh, something that I would recommend to people who just enjoyed good storytelling, though. Yeah, because there's a there's a lot to this show. There's a level of depth to it that. I think surpasses the average anime there's certainly a lot of stuff in the writing and even some of the visual storytelling that i think is pretty artistic and uh sincere it's it's not even it's not really um a cynical show or story at all it's quite the opposite and i think maybe that could be shock to some people because we live in this age where everybody's always doubting other people's intentions and it's hard to a lot of people have a hard time taking things that are earnest very seriously but i, I feel like a show like this is designed to kind of penetrate those hardened hearts of people who are accustomed to stories that are about you know more pessimistic themes or more cynical ideas this one's totally not in that vein but uh is designed to counteract those negative things yeah for sure i mean it just keeps being positive the whole time and not in the overly like dramatic way but like in a nice nuanced way characters have weaknesses obviously there's struggle but they overcome it so yeah, that goes into our major themes of the story. Let's talk about each of the themes that we've sort of picked up 
on in our previous conversations. But moving forward, like, what do you think about everyone just moving forward in this anime? Yeah, I think that's a big one because you see it play out in all of the major characters. Uh, whether it's moving forward in terms of getting out of this perceived rut in life, like Kimari, she just feels like she's not accomplishing anything with her youth. She wants to. In the story, we get to see that forward progress being made. With Shirase, it's you'd probably say it's about her overcoming her grief, you know, letting go of the, all those, comp- maybe not letting go, but just overcoming the emotional burdens that she's been bearing for the three years that since her mother died. And then I think for Inata, it's probably uh, going towards something honest in terms of friendships, just being around people that can that she can share in their earnestness with Yuzu, probably just moving past hurtful trauma, you know, the way that other classmates and people have treated her in the past. Now she's able to find real friends. I guess even with someone like the captain, with Gin, it's moving forward in the sense of like finally being able to have this good relationship with her best friend's daughter. You know, there's definitely a sense of peace and relief in that. And all of that kind of stuff is illustrated in the literal journey from Japan to Antarctica. So I feel like the theme is just illustrated in so many different ways through so many different characters and the plot. Yeah, for sure. I think you could even say the the crew had to move on because... It was implied they all came back for the same purpose. And then there's that f- that really nice scene at the end where Gin establishes the Takako Observatory. And I think that was a big payoff for the crew, realizing like they didn't want to let go of this opportunity to sort of finish what Takako wanted. Mm. So, so I thought that was really cool, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right, let's talk about the power of friendship. Oh, my my favorite trope. Uh, Elliot, any thoughts on the power, or is this a realistic friendship you see from these girls? Uh, I think it is. Um, if you hold it to a high school level, I think it is. Yeah. Just because like you're looking for friends, you're looking for people that are having something in common with you. So I think it's very realistic to have friends like this. And mm. I think it could happen anywhere. Maybe not going to Antarctica together and raising one million yen. It's definitely yeah. not going to happen for most teenagers. But I think it's definitely something to, in ways, idolize. Because like this is kind of what you want in a friendship. You want something this pure. You want these friends that are going to last a lifetime that are willing to do these crazy things with you. Hmm. Yeah, for sure. Drew, yeah. do you think it they'll almost stay feels together? Like... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm pretty sure that'll happen. Yeah, I think this show's too optimistic to even imply that the 
girls will lose touch. Yeah. Sorry, we'll finish your thought. I was just going to say that it feels like just about every episode has something to say about friendship. So it really stands out overall when you watch the whole, when you consider the whole series as a single entity because so much of the story, so many of the story elements are centered around friendship and all the themes I, I think are tied to each other, like moving forward. None of them can really do that without each other. That's all tied to the friendship that they have with one another. And it goes back to what the director had said about the girls starting off with a piece missing and the other girls help complete that or fill in those missing pieces. So you really see that throughout the story as they become closer and better friends. Yeah. I think the one thought I had is uh, basically what you said about friendships being a little more unrestrained, uh, a little different Mm -hmm. than your parental or sibling relationships. Because, yeah, friendships get ugly, and we could see it here in this series. Although it's definitely a lot more positive-toned, I think, you know, it definitely shows you that friendship is a choice that you have to make and you have to stick with it. Yeah, there are inevitably going to be conflicts or hurdles to overcome, but they're not insurmountable, generally speaking. Yeah. Cool. All right. One of the last themes we picked up on was coming of age sort of talk about this coming of age story because it is about high school girls Mm -hmm. and it is about first time experiences yeah and I think the show is ultimately an encouragement to young people not to be afraid of the world Even though it may be intimidating or even scary to go out there and step outside of your comfort zone, I think the message here is that it's they're telling us to persevere through it because you will eventually find friends who will be like-minded. So it's it's definitely got this encouraging idea behind the sentiment. You know, it's not just uh, grow up because the world is harsh and you got to toughen up, but it's it's really more. Uh, the fact that you shouldn't be afraid because you'll find people who are on your side. And even though things can be kind of scary, um, just hang in there and you'll eventually get through it alongside the friends that you make along the way. Yep. Elliot, any closing thoughts on just coming of age and how this anime sort of relates to that? I think it's a a unique way of coming of age because they go on a hard journey, something that most people can't relate to. Uh, I don't think most people can relate to going to Antarctica, especially yeah. as a teenager. Um, but it is mm-hmm. like they do deserve the respect that they're given. And they are determined, and it is somewhat fun to watch them grow as characters and see them complement each other. So... It's definitely been a fun enemy to watch. 
Yeah. yeah. If I had a daughter, I would totally watch this with her. Yeah, it's got it's got the feel good themes, and you can talk a lot about like the emotional aspects. I think it's fun in that way. I think you yeah. guys pretty much summed up. Uh, yeah, summed up everything. So, unless you had any more thoughts. Nope, I am tapped out. I am satisfied with what we've had to say although there's a pretty good chance that tomorrow i'll wake up and remember something that i should have said that would have been absolutely genius and i'll just (laughs) have to live with that regret yeah for sure yeah overall this is such a great series to just think about life (laughs) and Mm. i think i would definitely recommend people watch it and just enjoy it for what it is. Yeah, it's definitely a great show for young people. Like, I would totally want teenagers who are into anime to check something like this out over you know, whatever popular shonen battle manga anime. The Rudo. <laughs> yeah, exactly, right? Like, it feels like something like this has so much more meaningfulness to it than a lot of those other shows that kids nowadays like i don't know if kids would watch this but uh, i think this is a show that is emotionally engaged with youth and younger people uh, but it's it's also told in a sophisticated enough manner where adults like us can still appreciate and enjoy it and even get something out of it yep all right so if that is all, we're going to move on to our next segment. This is what I like to call the doctor's orders. This is the segment of the podcast where each month we'll give an anime prescription. Each of us will give an anime prescription that is one anime that sort of fits a similar vibe, a similar style to a place further than the universe. And... We'll be doing that for each anime we review in the future. So it's now time for the Doctor's Orders. This is the Doctor's Orders. Take your medicine. Drew, start us off with one anime that, if people are interested in a place further, they can sort of get similar vibes from... Sure. So my recommendation is an anime from 2015 called The Rolling Girls. It's a series produced by Wit Studio. And the reason why I think this fits the same vibes as Universe is because, well, superficially, it is about four teenage girls who go on an adventure together and learn how to become friends while overcoming a series of obstacles. But in terms of tone and plot, it's extremely different because this is more of a science fiction action story. It takes place in this alternate future of Japan where the country is split up into city-states and each city-state has their basically their own superhero that defends them and represents them and fights against the... It defends them against the heroes of the other city-states. And these heroes are called best with a capital b 
and they all have their own group of followers and support team called the mob who are also known as the rest with the capital r so it's <laughs> like the best and the rest which is funny cute naming convention but anyway the series works because it's about four girls and they don't really know each other at the beginning of the story and one of them the main girl she's part of the rest for this one hero and that hero gets injured but she takes it upon herself to basically go around japan and uh, ride her motorcycle with these new friends and try to do good that her hero can't do because of the injury and along the way shenanigans ensue it's kind of zany at times and i admit that when i first watched it i didn't necessarily know everything that was going on in the plot and i didn't know where it was going to end but when i finally got to the ending i think it put everything together and it made more sense to me it was also something where even a few days after i finished it i was still thinking about it because it just had that level of depth to it, to the relationships and to the story. Music is awesome. It's got great animation. It's by the studio that did, uh, what's that one called? Attack on Titan or something? Oh. But, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, The Rolling Girls. Check that out. Nice. Thanks, Drew. Uh, for me, I, I can recommend, I think, yeah, I talked a lot about it in, as for like parallels, and Drew talked about it too. Sound Euphonium is one of those animes that is also about high school girls, but it doesn't focus solely on high school girls. Basically, the protagonist, her name is Kumiko, and during her middle school, uh, the end of her middle school, she was part of a concert band that did not make it to nationals. And her classmate, Reina, goes to the same high school as her. And Reina's dream is to make it to nationals, as well as eventually they get like this cool teacher who uh, asks them, you know, what is their goal? And a lot of them agree that they want to make it to nationals as well. But yeah, Kumiko starts off in the series like very unsure of where she wants to go. And the series explores sort of her growing as like a person and a musician, as well as the class sort of growing as a class. Because, you know, I won't spoil, but there's like this, there's like a lot of divides in the class between like older years, third years, and first years. So yeah, the the series does a lot, really good job of exploring those relationships in the context of like a high school musical competition. So yeah, definitely recommend Sound Euphonium. It has two seasons so far, but has just been confirmed by or confirmed for a third season. It's a Kyoto Animation production, probably one of my favorites overall. And there's uh, there's like two or three movies, including one of them is Drew mentioned in his top three, Liz and the Bluebird. So yeah, definitely check mm -hmm. out Sound Euphonium. The whole series is good. You should probably watch the TV series first because I think there is a compilation movie as one of the movies, which isn't which is good. But I think it, if you have time, definitely enjoy the series as a whole. Yeah, two, the first two movies are compilation movies of seasons one and two, and oh, then nice. the third movie is a direct sequel. Thanks. Yeah. Thanks for clarifying. Yeah. Yeah. 
So Sound Euphonium, check it out on Crunchyroll or wherever you can get your anime. For my recommendation, I would suggest Healer Girl. It's similar in the type of things you'll experience. It's kind of like a happy story at the, at the same time. And you kind of go go through this series enjoying music because these girls are singers. And it's, it's a type of Japan where healing has... Uh, or healing is based upon a, a singing ability, and they're basically helping people with medical problems that they have in their life, and even get asked by medical people to help them with singing. So it's a, it's a fun anime, pretty short. You should watch it. Nice. In Healer Girl, uh, can anybody sing to heal other people, or do they have to be like special? I believe. Anyone can sing that can hold a uh, hold a tune, but they do have to become certified singers and healers because yeah. they do have their own licensing system. On if you become a certified healer rather than just singing for people. Interesting. Yeah, it is interesting. I think it's implied that you should be able to sing because, like, I think like if you're out of harmony, it like creates like terrible therapy or something. <laughs> So, so bad singers can do more harm than good. <laughs> that sounds yeah, like right. a shonen anime. <laughs> That's funny. Uh, wait, wait, in their world, do they have like rock bands or performers, like popular singer, pop yes, singers and stuff? They do. So yeah. not all singing is healing singing. Oh yeah, one one of the girls, her oh, okay. her mom and dad are opera singers. They, yeah, but they don't have they don't do healing singing. They just sing for performance reasons. But they do have the talent of singing. If they wanted to get their healing license, they could. They could have become healers, yes. I think it's like highly emphasized in the series too about like the safety precautions of doing it properly. (laughs) It's a creative premise, man. I I gotta check that one out. Yeah, it's just I've watched it too, it's really good. Alright. We're gonna give a few shout-outs now. Thank you to everyone who's tuned in and listened to our podcast. Thank you to LeVon Joseph Pelt for designing our new logo. Uh, I don't think he's on social media, but he is responsible for our beautiful new logo. So, yeah, definitely you can thank him for that. You can follow the Anime Waiting Room podcast on Twitter at Annie Waiting Room. That is A-N-I Waiting Room where myself, Drew, and Elliot post daily sweets about our anime musings. You can listen and follow us on Apple, Spotify, and wherever you find podcasts. We appreciate the love and support. You can also hear Drew on his own other podcast, Between the Gutters, which he plugged earlier, a comic book podcast that dedicates episodes to discussing manga and the occasional anime adaptation. You can find Between the Gutters on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, etc. They're also on social media, and you can find the links at linktr.ee slash between the gutters. All right, thanks for tuning in, and have a great month. And we'll be here loitering in the anime waiting room. Until next time.
If you enjoyed this episode of the Anime Waiting Room Podcast, tune in next time in which we will be discussing Season 1 of the hit series, Haikyuu.